All right. We are now uh, on a series called Hidden Part, Hidden Part, Hidden People of the Bible. And can we start off by you calling out some famous people in the Bible? Do you know some famous people in the Bible? Jesus, yes. <laughs> Very good. Winner. All right. Who else? Sorry? Adam and Eve. Moses. Mary. David. Who else? John, Noah, yes, love it. Herod, Pharaoh, oh, Pharaoh, pretty famous. All right, now call out some hidden people in the, of the Bible. Who? Jehu? Jehu, yeah. Juju? <laughs> That's very hidden. I've never heard of Juju. <laughs> the woman at the well. <laughs> One more. Hidden people of the Bible. The man in the tree. Woohoo! All right. I'm going to be talking about quite a hidden, hidden person in the Bible. He is so hidden, he is simply that guy. Like, literally. In the Bible, they call him a certain man. These days, we would just call him, you know, that dude. That's it. Okay, so reading about that dude... Um, I'm going to read first the account in the book of Matthew, and then I'm going to read the same account in the book of Mark, okay? Starting with the book of Matthew. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man, that guy. Tell him. The teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. So understated. If you don't read carefully and you don't study it, you would totally pass over this certain man. Never mind. Nobody catches my jokes. All right, okay. Um, so <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Passover meal quite a bit. So, all right. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you that you understand me even if nobody else does. God, I just pray uh, tonight that you will speak to us through your word. You speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't just want to hear your word. We want to allow your word to change us, to touch us, to transform us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is this festival of unleavened bread? Hundreds of years before Jesus, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and God miraculously brought them out of Egypt and freed them. So to commemorate this, God commanded them to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread every year. Unleavened bread is pretty much wrap, wrap. Okay, no yeast, it's just wrap, you know, lamb wrap, chicken wrap, wrap. All right, you get it, right? All right, it starts with a Passover meal, and then for seven days, you eat wrap. You eat bread without yeast, and this was the annual holiday. So as I was preparing for this and learning about the Passover meal and learning about the Festival of Unleavened Bread, I was like, what comes to my mind? What, what is a little bit similar? And it uh, reminds me of Chinese New Year. So I'm Malaysian Chinese, and I tell you, there is nothing bigger than Chinese New Year. Not your birthday, not even your wedding. 
Chinese New Year is king. So not Christmas, definitely not. This is a time where most people wait for all year long, okay? So you have at least two days where you prepare your house and you don't know if guests are going to come and how many guests are going to come and they're going to come at any time of the day. They come and then you feed them and then you give, if they're single, you give them um, uh, red packets with money in them. So you just wait and then all these people just keep coming to your house. Some people you don't even know that you know them and then they come to your house, you feed them and you give them money. Chinese New Year is very expensive but that's not the hardest thing. The hardest thing is the nosy aunties. This is the time when the auntie will go, how come you don't have a boyfriend yet? Do you have a girlfriend? How come you don't have a girlfriend yet? What's your salary? How much you paid? <laughs> and it's like, ah, so annoying. And um, so much so that someone actually has started a business where you can hire a boyfriend or you can hire a girlfriend for the festival. So yeah, it's pretty smart. And there's an app. So you just use the app and you hire a boyfriend or a girlfriend just to appease the nosy aunties. I have the most fondest childhood memories of Chinese New Year. My favorite is when, because we live in the capital city of our state, and then, you know, the relatives live in all those country towns. And then when my aunt, when my mom says, so-and-so, this bunch of relatives, we have a lot of relatives. Chinese people have a lot of relatives. Uh, this bunch of relatives are going to come to our house for Chinese New Year. They're going to stay with us for a whole week. So good. You know, it's like we'll forgo our bedrooms, me and my brothers. We, they, so the relatives all take over our bedrooms and we go and sleep in our bedroom, our parents' bedroom on mattresses. It was great. Like, it was just fun. And my parents had a big house and it was full. This is a time where there is no personal space. In fact, there is no personal anything. Nothing is personal. Everything gets talked about. You are put on display and your mom goes, play a song on the piano for everyone. And we are scared of our moms, Mimi. We play a song. <laughs> and this is like for a whole week. It's loud. There is so much food. There's so many people and it's just utter craziness. And the introverts just want to die. But I'm not an introvert, so I loved it. So I imagine the Festival of Unleavened Bread during Jesus' time was a little bit like this. It says here in John chapter 12, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. So Jesus was staying there um, at Lazarus' house, just like my relatives come and stay at our house. This was a festive time in Jerusalem when travelers came from far-flung Jewish communities in the world, and um, accommodations were hard to find, and people stayed in nearby villages or else they camped out in the countryside. So Jesus stayed in Bethany, and Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. Note that he came six days early because they come about a week early to go through a week of purification. And then they would start the festival. They would start it with the Passover meal, which is um, commemorated with the Last Supper, communion, which we just did. And during the Passover meal, they would eat the sacrificial lamb, wrap. They would eat it with the unleavened bread and drink wine. That was it. It was a simple meal, not like crazy Chinese people. And... Um, so during the Passover meal preparation, day one of the festival, thousands of sheep were taken to the temple to be slaughtered and then taken home to be eaten around each family's table. But 
like those who traveled in, like Jesus, um, they traveled into Jerusalem for the festival. They needed to find a location to eat the Passover meal because there was a rule that you are not allowed to take the Passover lamb after it has been slaughtered to take it too far away to eat. So you, um, Bethany was too far too far away. Two miles was too far away. So they had to find a site closer to the temple within the city walls. The solution was to rent out the upstairs guest room of a house within the city. So reading uh, the same account, but this time in the book of Mark. On the first day of festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. This is not the dude. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner. Now, this is the dude. This is that guy, the owner of the house. The teacher asked, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything he had told them. And they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. The Greek word here for guest room is kataluma. Everybody say kataluma. This is precisely the same word that is used for the nativity of Jesus. It says here, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger. But there was no place for them in the guest room, in the kataluma. When I was reading this, it occurred to me, Jesus did not have a kataluma for his birth. He could have not had a kataluma for his Passover meal, but he did. This time he did. There would have been loads of katalumas all around for rent. And many would have been rented already out to families and also like teacher. Um, so what Jesus did was he was a teacher and he had his disciples. So this gang, right? So uh, these katalumas would have been rented to these people. But this certain man, this guy, that guy, this dude, his guest room, his kataluma, his Airbnb was available for Jesus. I want to ask you an important question tonight. It's actually the title of an old hymn. Um, it is, Have You Any Room for Jesus? And the old hymn goes like this. Have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin. As he knocks and asks admission, sinner, will you let him in? All right. Now, this certain man did not know it at the time, but having his room available for Jesus, now his room, his kataluma, has gone down history as possibly the most painted room in the world. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. There you go. That's really old. Next. Yep, some more. You see his kataluma? Yep. Next. Everyone kind of imagining what his kataluma would look like. Next. Yeah. Next. Next. Oh, look at that. There were people serving food there. Next. See, I told you, most painted, right? The Last Supper was a monumental time in the life and ministry of Jesus. 
And this is now remembered forever to have taken place in this Kataluma. Jesus would then leave this room. He would go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He would be crucified, carrying the punishment of our sins and the punishment of the, the certain man's sin, that guy, right? Three days later, Jesus would rise again. And whoever believes in him will have their sins forgiven. They would be reconciled to God the Father. They would have their lives transformed, filled with love, with hope, with purpose, healing, and eternal life. Never to walk alone again. Jesus used this certain man for the kingdom of God in a way that this certain man would have never, ever imagined. I want to draw three things out of this. Firstly... Like this man, I didn't know at the time what a big deal Jesus was. Now, this man had a glimpse of Jesus' celebrity, right? He was probably there when Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem for um, the festival. And everyone got so super, super excited. They were like, this is the guy who's going to save us. This is our savior. Or at least he would have heard about Jesus, the very famous rabbi. 28 years ago, I had a glimpse of what a big deal Jesus was when I felt Jesus' love touch my heart. I would come to church. I wasn't even a Christian. I would come to church and I would love it. I would love the singing. I would love the worship. I would feel something on my heart. I would feel, I don't have to be so angry. I have peace. I would feel that. I had a glimpse and um, he had room for Jesus, this guy. He said yes. And then eventually I had room for Jesus. When I understood what was asked of me to believe, I said yes. And we don't know what happened to the guy. Maybe he um, went on to become a follower of Jesus. If he did, like that guy would be like, that was my room, my room. But I certainly did follow Jesus. And he has turned my life completely around. When I was a teenager, I did a lot, a lot of stupid things. I am actually in utter amazement that I'm, I lived through them. <laughs> um, I made a lot of stupid choices. But those were only a reflection of what was happening inside. What was happening inside? Now, I did not line this up with Mimi's story, Okay. But what was happening, Mimi was talking about finding, having hope, no matter how hard things are. For me, I felt a deep, deep sense of hopelessness and meaninglessness in everything. In life, in my life, I did not see an ounce of purpose or meaning in my life. I hated my life above all. And the world around me, I would, we had the Iraq war at the time. That was, um, that, I think it was towards the end of the Iraq war. And I would look at that and just see the utter hopelessness and meaninglessness. And then, of course, there were elections that I just saw the hopelessness and the meaninglessness. School, school was completely meaningless, right? No, you don't agree. That's really good. Everything was hopeless and meaningless. My relationships were hopeless and meaningless. Friendships, hopeless and meaningless. Boyfriends, utterly hopeless and meaningless. Did I like them? Absolutely. But were they hopeless? Oh, yes. 
and my future. I would sit there and think about my future. And I would think about my futile, futile hopeless, and meaningless future. And I was like, if I'm going to have to create meaning for myself, I'm going to make a ton of money and I'm going to rub it in the faces of the people I hate. Literally, that was my ambition. And when I said yes to Jesus, something shifted. The song we sang earlier says we wake up with hope every morning. It's very cheesy. But it is what happened. I woke up and I, there was a hope. I, I was a very, very angry person. The night I received Jesus, it was like at a Will Graham celebration. It was at a big convention that I received Jesus. I was smiling like this, going to the toilet, smiling at everyone. They were like, crazy woman. And I never stopped smiling since. It's great. People still think I'm crazy. Someone told me no one could possibly be this happy. I was like, watch me. Right? So there is like this hope and this purpose that is infused. I can't even describe it. Like for life, I look at life and I see hope and purpose. I see a baby, I cry. Look at their fingernails, right? And I look at the world around me. Even as we look at Russia and Ukraine now, I feel hope and I feel that God will bring meaning out. And there is this crazy sense of resilience that there will be meaning, there will be hope. And my relationships, I'm very good to my boyfriend now. My boyfriend of... How long have we, we celebrating our 19th anniversary at the end of this, this month? I'm really nice to him now. He is not hopeless and not meaningless at all. And all other relationships were the same. And my future, I think about my future. And yes, old people like me have future too, okay? I think about our future and I just think of hope and meaning. And it is exciting. And you know what? I've been through two miscarriages. And I remember even through the miscarriages, the pain that I felt when I wake up in the morning, there was hope. It's default now that there is hope no matter what happens. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's why we dance like crazy people when we sing here. Because it's amazing. So I'm going to ask you, if you have never invited Jesus into your life, why don't you invite him in tonight? Have you any room for Jesus? That's the first thing. Second thing is this. With this certain man, Jesus asked for a guest room, but that's not his ultimate goal. Jesus doesn't just want to stay in your guest room. He wants to make a home in your heart. He wants to make it home. But he can't make it home until you ask him to make it home. Because our Jesus is a gentleman. He is not a squatter. Okay? He is a gentleman. Now, a guest is someone who stays with you temporarily. You give them your fancy guest towels. Okay? And um, you pretend that everything's amazing. You want to lose your cool, but you don't. You hold it in. And you wait for a few days. And then you can be yourself once again. That's what you do with guests. If you've invited Jesus into your guest room, that's what you do. Oh, good, Jesus. Oh, good. Here's a guest towel. But when you move in together with someone, it's different. Our dear Toby and Courtney have just got married. Whee! 
So when people get married, generally they move in together. So Toby and Courtney have, have just moved in together. Now, when you move in together with someone, you make permanent adjustments, okay, to the house. Some things need to be thrown out and some things need to change. My husband is amazing in almost every way, except, <laughs> oh, before we got married, he lived in a pigsty. It was awful. And then we got married, he, he thought he could still live in a pigsty, but he learned quickly when we moved in together, you don't do that anymore. Not if Winnie is your wife. Okay, so he made adjustment. I made adjustment. We both made adjustment. But that's what happens when you move in together. Some things need to change. When Jesus comes to make his home in your heart, we need to change some things. Perhaps it's our schedule. Perhaps it's our priorities. Perhaps it's our lifestyle. Now, another thing you do when you move in with someone is you share everything with them. You put away the fancy guest towels. You tell them, we only give these to the guest, okay? Now, you use these. You give them the faded, awful family towels, all right? And then you let them see your true self. But after you let them see your true self, you trust that they'll still be there, that they won't move out the next day. Oh, my goodness, this is how she looks like without makeup. And no. They don't move out the next day. They continue to love you. So you share your problems. You share your laughs. If you've invited Jesus into, if you invite Jesus to live in our hearts, do you know that he will never leave us? He'll always, always love us. And we need to trust that. And when we trust that, we know that we can share everything with him. Talk to him. Tell him everything. But then you are like, but he is God, isn't he? Doesn't he know everything? Why do I need to tell him everything? Of course he knows everything. He's God. But he likes you. He likes hanging out with you. He likes it when you tell him stuff. Kids, do you know that your parents know everything about you? Even when you don't tell them. But it's really nice when you tell them. They get all crazy inside. It's the same with our Jesus. He wants us to talk to him. He wants to talk to us. So let me ask you this question. If you invited Jesus into your heart, is he still in the guest room? Or is it time to invite him to make your heart his home? This is not an Airbnb anymore. We're talking about a lifelong commitment. Are you ready to make those adjustments and change your schedules, priorities, lifestyles, and include Jesus in your everyday life, everything. Lastly, for many of us who have invited Jesus to make our hearts his home, I want to ask you a very sobering question. Do you still remember that he is there? Or is he like the housemate that you barely see anymore? Maybe once a week when you come to church, maybe. Do you still have room for Jesus? Or has his room that you've given to him been crowded out with work, relationships, social media, or even church activities? Do you still have room to sit with Jesus? Do you have room for worship, room for his word, room for prayer? Could tonight be the time to start 
to declutter, do a Marie Kondo on Jesus' room, hey, that you've given to him. And let Jesus be Lord of your life once again. So do you still have room for Jesus? So I want to ask you, have you room for Jesus? If you've never, ever invited him, have you any room for Jesus? And you've invited him as a guest, is it time? For us to make this a permanent arrangement. And lastly, do you still have room for Jesus? Those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, let's be like this man. He had room and he said, yes, let's pray. Jesus, why you would want our hearts, I don't know. Why you would want room in our hearts, I don't know, but you do. Why you love us so much, I don't know. I don't understand how you can and why you would want to, and yet you do. So much so that you would be the Passover lamb for us. You would be slaughtered for us so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have you in our hearts once again. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart, I'm going to say a very simple prayer. I'm simply going to say, thank you for loving me. I'm sorry for my sin, for wanting to live for me and ignoring you. And please come into my heart. If that is your prayer, I'm going to pray line by line and you can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting my heart. I'm so sorry for ignoring you. I am so sorry for wanting to do things my way. I'm sorry for my sin. Please, Will you come into my heart by your Holy Spirit and live with me forever? Amen. Father, I pray for some of us who once a long time ago perhaps have invited you in, but the relationship never went further. I pray that tonight will be a restart. I pray that these hearts will invite you in. If that is you, just say, Lord, come and live with me forever. Help me make the changes that I need to. I want you in my life, in every part of my life. And for those of us who have cluttered Jesus' room, have forgotten that He is there, who are so who've gotten so used to Him being there that we take for granted that He's there. We're sorry, Lord. We're sorry. Forgive us for forgetting You. Forgive us for taking You for granted. Forgive us for cluttering our lives with the gifts that You gave us, actually, like work and studies and relationships. Those are your gifts and yet we've cluttered our lives with them so much so that we can't, we have no room for you anymore. 
Jesus, I pray tonight will be a time of repentance and turning back to you. And Jesus, I thank you that you're just waiting for us to turn back and you run to us like the prodigal father. You run to us as we come back to you. Lord, I pray tonight the answer to that question, have you any room for Jesus, will be a resounding yes, both in the building and online. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. We can never thank you enough. Amen.